0: Officially Speaking is the official podcast of Official Business, bridging the gap between sports officials, coaching staffs, players, and fans of both the amateur and professional levels. By creating professional relationships between officials and athletes, we strive to build values and integrity in sport through respect and innovation. Work hard, earn respect, respect the game. Welcome to Officially Speaking, Episode 001 we're going to have AAA Pacific Coast League President Branch Ricky coming up here in a minute. Branch was one of my first phone calls when I first got this thought process for official business, and he had some great advice for me about three years ago, and we're going to talk about that along with some of Branch's advice on uh, present-day official business and, uh, and some meetings we're headed to soon. That'll actually wrap up the end of the podcast, from the first time I talked to them about it, I always love the idea of being the only business in the world, actually, that that does what we do. Uh, One of one, uh, the OG, if you will. So we'll talk about how that thought process started versus where we are right now. As we open up here, you'll actually hear my wife pop in. She had to say hi to Branch real quick. And then we're going to get into the relationships that are formed in professional baseball. We're going to talk about relationships formed throughout the course of a, an entire professional career and how nostalgia can evoke emotions from relationships formed a long, long time ago in in Branch's words, the bonds that reach across the decades, and how that resulted in the implementation of Baseball Chapel getting their first chance to uh, to hold Bible study for a minor league team in the Appalachian League. From there, we'll talk about Branch's early career, and I mean early, the ages of 15 and 16, uh, working in, in short-season baseball, and then the age of 17, becoming the business manager of a team at the age of 17. In the decade after that, after taking a little break from baseball to go to Ohio Wesleyan and then join the Peace Corps, He has an incredible story about the end of his time in the Peace Corps in Venezuela leading to him officiating at the Olympic level Greco-Roman wrestling in the 1972 Olympic Games in Munich. And the big part of that story that I, I took away from that was how officiating helped him in every other facet of life all the way to becoming a league president at the AAA level. And then we'll finish up talking a little more about official business, as I mentioned. So I recorded this call two different ways, and I'm glad I did because of some technical difficulties. And by that I mean technically it was was difficult for me since this is my first time recording an interview. So I had to edit back and forth a couple times from one recording to the other when I figured out that I didn't have the entire interview in either one of those recordings, but I'm sure Branch will have you engage with his storytelling abilities so much that you'll barely even notice. I love his energy and hospitality from the get-go, so I'm just going to jump right into the moment when I dial his number for this interview. Enjoy. how are you doing sir
1: top of the day to you good how are you
0: i'm wonderful i'm doing pretty good today pretty excited this is going to be fun (laughs) (laughs) all right you You think so yeah it's yeah absolutely (laughs) i have pacific coast league president branch ricky with me uh i got to call him boss for three years and obviously your family unless someone's been living under a rock though they should uh they should know your family history. Uh, your dad was in baseball as well, and then obviously your grandpa um, signed Jackie Robinson.
1: Thank you for was... more than ample, in fact, lavish introduction. <laughs> but uh, more than anything, we're friends and professional acquaintances, and we <laughs> take back over a lot of games.
0: Yeah, I yeah I worked. Oh, hey, Bonnie just stepped in the door. She says hi. She's waving hi. Oh, my
1: best to her. And... Hi, Mr. Ricky. Hey, hi there. Okay, I'll let you guys keep going. Thank you for this. Uh, okay, <laughs> my pleasure.
0: Loved working three years in your league, and it's—I mean—with all due respect to every other league president that I worked for, you know, it was just—it was just an incredible experience. Um, all the way down to—I believe—I believe the the plaques we get at the end of our our our, our time in your league are—I believe that was the first year you started doing it, but it was just—you know—a couple of months after the season, it was just awesome to get it in the mail, and I completely forgot that you had mentioned it you know, probably eight months earlier at the league meeting and it was really cool. You just always treat us right. And then just always appreciated what you guys have done there. So
1: well, the, the pressures of professional umpiring are far more, uh, extended and far less seen by the public yeah. than uh, what goes on regularly in so many other avenues of this sport and other sports. So, uh, I think we take great pride in the Pacific Coast League and the quality of our officials, the way they go up-
0: And that's been, that's been fun for me just because um, uh, it was just having Tripp and Dana at our church there is, you know, we worked that 2013 season together and that was the season. My my dad died uh, just two weeks prior to to coming to spring training, but um, Dana's dad had also passed in that off season, Tripp's wife. So um, we had that link going into that season and and it was really great actually I had one of my old pc I was going through some of my my, my old stuff and I had I brought an old PCL hat out and then I flipped it open and on the inside you know it says RH for my dad and DW for for uh, for Dana's dad mm-hmm. um, and I was like oh that's that was from the 13 season you know um, that's
1: your, your it was pretty incredible the cap reminds me of a letter I got about three months ago someone I met years ago and he said the, 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 the letter was uh caused by the fact that he was looking back through his memorabilia, and uh, he came across a pirate's cap uh, from when I was with uh, Pittsburgh Pirates in player development. And it's one of those, uh, what we used to call the Pop, the cap Pop Anson style or uh, the Bicentennial flat-top cap with horizontal stripes around it. A classic, classic old-time pirate cap from the 70s and he said he, he started to put it on just out of nostalgia and noticed on the underside of the brim was my name remembered then that I had given it to him and he said I uh, just a wonderful excuse to write me and, and, and thanks these many years later and the person who sent it to me was the founder of baseball Chapel. and
0: uh, oh yeah Gave him the very first opportunity to bring Baseball Chapel
1: into a major league camp during spring uh, during the rookie league. Actually, it was, and uh, Baseball Chapel had uh, never. On the underside of a cap, yeah, so precipitate such wonderful memories. Oh yeah, are the, are the bonds that reach across the decade
0: now now reaching across almost fifty years? Did you say that was seventies with the pirates or sixties? Because I remember I, I remember I reading that. I was the early seventies with okay. The pirates. Okay, because I remember you started like in your teenage years with them, didn't you? In the Appy, I did. I had a I had a very peculiar start. Well that was that was a little bit after that though. That wasn't so. That was in the seventies. Gotcha. And then
1: I... my, my, my earliest start in professional baseball was accidental. <laughs> oh, was it? I had worked as an office boy for two summers uh, with the Pirates and just going and picking up the mail at the post office, and delivering it to the office, opening all the letters, sorting them according to departments, and uh, then following up uh, mid-morning, I would, I, I might ticket office, sorting, if a big uh, game was coming up, helping sort ticket orders. Uh, mid-morning, I'd be asked to run up the street to get coffee from uh, White Castle restaurant. And uh, just uh, at lunchtime, I might be warming up, Or uh, I was on my high school baseball team as a catcher, and I might be warming up a pitcher who was uh, had come in. Rehab, and um, then in the afternoons I would be running errands, might be running blueprints down to the mayor's office for uh, stadium changes, and so forth. Just a uh, odd, odds and ends job, and I did that for two summers when I was 14 and 15. I was was the general manager and hiring the ticket takers and overseeing the concession concession operations and doing all the correspondence and uh, storing the baseballs and overseeing the players and uh, collecting fines and keeping in touch with the major league club on uh, the operation of the team and uh, so forth.
0: preparation for going to college yeah and it seems the perfect i mean yeah that's that's the absolute perfect well let's just pump up some some short season teams then that seems the perfect opportunity for um for a high school player wanting to get their foot in, in the door for baseball just it's only short seasons are essentially june and july uh and then end of august for playoffs and then back to school type thing so mm-hmm. i would i mean how did that well obviously it catapulted you because they came uh, they they came uh, they
1: came back to me they, and wanted to hire me again. Yeah,
0: and it, it doesn't matter that you were running coffee team, or, you know.
1: The team or the team relocated in, uh, in from uh, Kingsport to Salem, Virginia. And the Appalachian League reconfigured a little bit. So my years two and three were the summers of, between my freshman year and my sophomore year were uh, in Salem, Virginia. So
0: oh, okay. it, was a, it was a baptism into uh,
1: professional baseball. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and you're so you so 17 you were a business manager then for them. Is that right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the,
1: the term that the, uh, other clubs used the term general manager, the Kingsport ter- team uh had an owner in town who didn't come out to uh, many of the ball games, but he was he was the president of the club and so the term they wanted to use for the person that was watching the day-to-day management was the business manager. Mm-hmm. So I was,
0: Business manager one thing that I loved just since I was going through the your your, your timeline at 67 was when you graduated uh, from Wesleyan and then you went to, to Venezuela for two years uh-huh. I'm wondering if this next little tidbit is just maybe one reason or maybe when when you started to have that point of view of an official you know just um, and I and I think, I think you you know where I'm going with this maybe. <laughs> so you you hold quite a unique story in that it looks like after Venezuela. You began to pursue freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling officiating. You and then actually, some of actually
1: th- actually it started in Venezuela and while oh I, really Well, I was assigned down to uh, in uh, as my time in Venezuela went on, I was assigned down to almost the Amazon state, the state of Apure in Venezuela and the city of San Fernando. And it was way, way, way down in the interior of the country. In the minds of most Venezuelans, it didn't even belong to the country. But before I got down there, the, the application I had filled out for the Peace Corps uh, for a physical education program said, uh, what sports have you participated in? Well, I was a quite a quite an enthusiastic high school wrestler, and I had a lot of success in high school. When I went to college, I realized I didn't want to take away from my studies all the time and the, the excessive uh, focus you had mentally on wrestled intramurally, and I just happened to win four medals, gold medals for first place in in my four years in Ohio Wesleyan. So I put down four gold medals. <laughs> Got down to Venezuela. Somebody had sent along that I had won gold medals in wrestling. They named me the national uh, chairman for their two championships. Their national championships. In Venezuela. mentor who had done officiating of international wrestling in country with the peace corps program as a supervisor i went and, and, and went through a training course and qualified to a class three referee and within uh, six months i had been moved to a class two and within another year to a class one and by participating in a couple of international matches i was moved to one select which meant i could officiate in the olympics the problem was that uh um, the United States was only allowed to send two referees every four years to the Olympic Games. And given the number of senior referees in the United States in wrestling, it was going to be 72 years or so, I calculated, (laughs) before I'd get to the Olympics. So I quickly reverted and contacted the uh, president of the Venezuelan Federation to ask if he'd sponsor me to go to the Olympics as a Venezuelan referee. Wow. There the plot thickens. Because I went to Munich, Germany, as yeah. a Venezuelan referee, and the stories that come out of that are myriad. But uh, there was—they had thrown out twenty-eight uh, referees from the previous Olympics in Mexico City in the, in wrestling because of corruption. And he went into a frenzy, and I, uh, I warned him and uh, with a uh, off-the-mat West German uh, referee who had become friend during those games. Uh, warned him again, and then th- threw him out.
0: Then you got rid of him.
1: And he was the national champion, unlimited heavyweight. Wow. And he realized that the, Hung- that the Bulgarian had left the mat behind me and gone out uh, a ramp, uh he came charging i was wiping up blood on the side of the mat with a towel cleaning up <laughs> after the match was forfeited and uh and i thought he was running right at me i thought he was going to kill me but his eyes were glazed over and he was in a, in a frenzy and he was going to go after the bulgarian off the mat and i stepped aside real quickly and this guy at 270 pounds went uh, whisking by me and jumped off the edge of the mat and ran up the hallway and uh instead of turning left to go out the double doors to catch the bus back to the olympic compound he turned right and went into a bathroom the bulgarian wasn't there and he ripped the sinks off the wall and the panels out of the bathroom <laughs> it did great damage but i was i was the talk of the town and they called a convention the next day to review how the uh, all of the delegations. of lying around on the side of the mat and kicking and throwing a tantrum and, uh, and that my career would be allowed to continue and that they wanted uh, referees to do this more, to take control of the matches and, and speed up the matches rather than let the athletes control the pace. But, of course, that was the year that the uh, the terrible shootings happened at the Olympics. Uh, I had gone there thinking, what a wonderful change of pace for me, amateur athletics, the wholesomeness of the of the Olympic Games, and I uh, didn't realize there was so much politics behind the scenes, because all of the Eastern European uh, referees seemed to not want to have another Western European, Western referee. And okay. the Western referees were all excited about uh, having more Western referees. Uh, so that the k- matches wouldn't be called against the Western athletes, uh, it was a there was a there was an iron curtain mentality there.
0: Do you feel how long did you referee at all? If you did after that, but then did, is that I
1: never refereed another match it... after Munich. I decided that I would go back to the wholesome activity of professional
0: baseball. Baseball exactly. <laughs> That's a pretty impressive short career there. You get a... it.
1: A, it, well... it came to it came to it. It had a dramatic rise, it was an extraordinarily short term, and uh, it came to an, uh, a, a sudden, abrupt uh, end, and allowed me to go forward concentrating on another sport. Oh, uh, when I think back of a fun, a fun.
0: Yeah, that's a, that is a really unique, do you have any, any keepsakes from that 72 Olympics that uh, they I,
1: I had a swag bag
0: type of stuff you know
1: <laughs> I, I, had a white, I had a white shirt with uh, the, in order to award points you raise the right arm for the wrestler who's wearing the red uh, okay. uh, outfit and so you have a red sleeve uh, on your left arm and the right arm is blue and so you have a blue arm and a red arm and you raise the appropriate corresponding arm with the points that that wrestler the shirt is white, and I think I still have somewhere tucked away in my memorabilia that shirt with speckled blood from the uh, Turkish. I was going to say, the, is that yelling yelling at me, and as as the blood ran down from his nose over his lip, and he was screaming, the blood spewed out and and, and dappled my shirt.
0: So that's a great that's a great keepsake. You even have the shirt with the with the uh, the Turkish wrestler's blood on it. That's <laughs>
1: a great deal of self-confidence and a great deal of uh, willingness to commit uh, all your resources to trying to make that happen. The the, the argument on the, on the other side is even in the event that uh, for those who, uh, let's say, make it to AAA, uh, uh, quite a number of those do officiate in the major leagues but are not contract to continue in the major leagues and my belief which is a deeply held belief is that you come away from those years in minor league baseball and all of the things that you have to do to have a successful minor league Much by traveling around the country and uh, in and out of uh, maybe as many as six or seven leagues by the time your career is over, and dealing with all the different club operations, the owners dealing with contact. Over
0: the long run so when when I first talked to you about official business uh I don't believe I had that name yet for one the idea being you know ten twenty thirty forty a hundred years from now, I think we'll uh, I think we'll have an umpire like me on staff and we'll be helping out with rules, knowledge, and teaching players how to play more like football players with their with rules knowledge and you know i went I went into a bunch of stuff and just the interpersonal relationships that that a catcher and umpire can have and I, I remember. I remember you said I, you thought I had about a one in a thousand chance. That was that was fun, which didn't phase me at all because you
1: not I, without any thought that it wasn't valid or or uh, advantageous. And but that was your next that the uh, character of the structure of the sport uh, at the time you broached this was a fairly uh, a fairly challenging scenario.
0: It's been such an incredible ride, and I just appreciate your support along the ways and. Uh, you know, it's going so many different directions now. It's definitely not where it was when I first talked with you. We're going into a league meeting this weekend. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to bring some, you know, there's a couple couple catchers that are under undervalued there, and I hope to start a podcast where I can shine a little more light on them, uh, just kind of the scouting community or just this is how guys work with umpires and this is why we love working with them. And
1: How many franchises are there?
0: Uh, Eleven, actually.
1: And where are geographically?
0: So basically the Pacific Northwest, but not not anything over in Idaho, and then we got a couple in Canada too, so a little nerve-wracking. It's this weekend. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be nerve-wracking. It should be uh,
1: just, um, I would say, the do's and don'ts of sensible application of business practices to accomplishing business. Mm-hmm. Bring uh, a progressive environment to the officiating yeah. of, of, of this level of baseball. Yeah. So uh, you could you could more I think you could more apply adjectives like reasonable. They don't have to be looking over your shoulder all the time, because that's what you do. That's what you do. You bring the you bring the, the, the systematization to it. I think the the trust issue yeah. is, even, is even broader than that. Absolutely. I think it uh, is both on and off the field, and uh, it's worked. It's. Uh, background I had in player development, I always found that the, uh, in, 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 in the years that I was in player development, we had so many younger kids that didn't have the greater sophistication of today's athletes coming out of college programs where they're watched for another four years.
0: Well, you you instill that culture in the league, so we appreciate it very much. That's it's pretty awesome. Uh, well, thanks for being on here with me, brother. I I appreciate it so much.
1: Thanks for inviting me. Uh, for God's <laughs> sake, what a, what a privilege! What a privilege!
0: Absolutely, thank you so much. I appreciate you being our, our first interview. So, <laughs> thank you, brother. All right. All right. Take care, fella. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, guys. I love and appreciate that more than you know. Other things I love. Five star ratings for officially speaking. Making sure you're following official business on social, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, we officialbusiness.us, Twitter and Snapchat, OffBizHybrids, OFFBIZHYBRIDS. And if you enjoyed the podcast, I also love it when you share it with your friends. Your word of mouth will continue to help official business have a positive impact on youth sports. Work hard, earn respect. Respect the game and be one of one.